And welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today we have with us Ginny Loveday. If you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah. Uh, so as Friday said, I am Ginny Loveday. Um, I, I do too much, uh, which is to say I work a lot in 5th edition stuff, Dungeons and Dragons. I've freelance doing design, editing. I've done convention organizing, marketing stuff, all, you know, a lot of it. I've done too much. When you started out freelancing, what did you start out doing? Like, what was your first gig? Uh, my first gig, I was writing um, an organized play adventure for a convention out of North Carolina. Okay. That was not the first thing that got published, though. That was oh, the first okay. thing I started okay. writing. <laughs> yeah. Let's start with it. Let's roll into your origin story then. Uh, so origin story, we need to go back a little bit further than that. Um, so, you know, if we want to go back to the beginning, I've always been a nerd. There's a lot that goes into that. But anyways, um, I played Dungeons and Dragons for the first time. Uh, not until I got to college, actually, because I grew up in a very small town, Tennessee, and like it wasn't a thing. Played it, was like, oh, yes, love this. And then got involved in like organized play and it came up that we didn't really have any local coordinators there when that was still a thing. And so we weren't getting all of the content that could have played in our local community. It was Knoxville, Tennessee at that point in time, which is kind of spread like really far east to west. There's a game store far east, game store far west. So my friend Jay Anderson and I decided that we would apply together to be co-coordinators for the area, each managing kind of a store. And so it did that. Um, we got a lot of stuff. It was great. And then I applied kind of on a whim just to get the experience of applying to be the coordinator for the entire southeast region of the U.S. So everything from Virginia over to Missouri down to Louisiana, Florida. So a huge region. And um, they picked me. <laughs> to replace the guy who was leaving out of everyone who applied, which I don't know who everyone was, but I was flabbergasted. So I did pretty well at that, bringing in tons of stores who had no idea what the program was, getting new coordinators on board it, and generally just getting people in my region excited to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's all I ever really wanted. I just want more people to play these games and have fun. Like that's, that's, my, that's my motives, everyone, in case you've been wondering what I'm up to all along. I just want people to play games. And doing that, at some point along the line, they introduced, um, the Adventurers League introduced what was called, at that point in time, the Convention Created Content Program. So conventions could contract writers um, however they wanted, whatever payment structure they wanted, to write content within a series of guidelines. That content could then be submitted and become official organized play content, which is to say, um, let me backpack for people who maybe don't do a lot of organized play. Adventures League program is designed to where everyone in it, you create your character following a set of standard guidelines, which are generally just like use point by, we can't have any of this overpowered weapons, we get a set amount of treasure, just to keep everyone kind of on a level base. And you can play your character portable, take it to a convention in California, take a convention in Boston, play it in your friend's basement, you know, play it at your local game store. You could play it on cruise ships. People do that. Actually, I'm doing that next month. Um, so, you know, making this, this is super exciting. And that was where I got contracted to write my first. And then they kind of disbanded the coordinator program. That was around the time the magic judge lawsuits happened when they wanted to be oh. employees. Understandably, they were like, oh, we have this whole other group of people who may also think that they're employees. So we're going to nip that in the bud. But anyways, right. I had at that point uh, demonstrated that I was competent at doing the things I said I was going to do. Clearly my downfall. So then I got contacted by... Um, 
the administrators for the organized play program, which was still ongoing. Hey, do you want to write a thing? You're pretty good at coordinating. And I'm like, those two skills are not particularly related, but I have written words before in my life. So sure, if you want to pay me for them, I will write them. And then if you hate them, we never have to talk about this again. So I wrote words and they weren't terrible. Uh, That was back in season eight. Uh, So that corresponded with the Waterdeep Dragon Heist book. That was my first official thing that I was contracted by Wizards to write. That was my first check from Hasbro, um, which is very exciting, by the way, to get that in the mail and be like, Daddy Hasbro has acknowledged me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it felt very momentous. Um, Since then, I've written two normal adventures. That is two regular adventures meant to be played by a single table at a time. I have also written for the Adventurers League three epic adventures. So epics are multi-table interactive adventures. Uh, So anywhere from one to I don't think anyone's ever run more than 120 tables simultaneously, and I don't recommend anybody try that either. That is a mess logistically. Sounds but, you like know, it. However many tables it is, all play them, all playing the same thing, and what one table does affects the other, so on. And it's super fun. It's one of the, my favorite things to do at convention. It's just it's hard to replicate that experience. Um, yeah, so, it's super cool. Yeah, so I did that. And, you know, through doing all of that, like, started getting offers from other companies. Like, hey, you've written things. People didn't hate them, which is weird to me, but all right. Yeah. When did that kind of settle in for you as far as, like, I write things and people respect what I write? Uh, So that was actually kind of a weird period in my life. Like, I kind of, like, internally knew it around 2018, but I was simultaneously going through a divorce at a very early I don't know. I'm going to call it a quarter life crisis because clearly I'm going to live to be more than 50. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. But uh, so kind of around then, but I was still kind of in denial and needed to have a lot of therapy to really, you know, understand my health worth there and then be like, yeah, I am good at this. At that point in time, I was just like, well, they're still paying me for it. So I can't suck. And really, you know, moved to Chicago, you know found myself and then I was like you know what I am good at this and started like actively seeking more contracts uh, was mentoring people was helping other conventions figure out how to contract their own freelancers because if you've never done that it's like where do you start you're just staring at the world and you're like is there someone out here who can write and then you realize that you need to write is there someone out here who can do good technical writing I want to <clears throat> I want to pivot to that because I as the uh, director uh, and like kind of coordinator for the Vineyard RPG. That's been, uh, thankfully I had this background in like operations in the military. So I like knew how to do all of that stuff and like being a, you know, uh, like uh, for a short period of time, I was like a recruiter. I was a platoon sergeant. I was a squad leader. And then I was a, a an op- assistant operations chief. Um, some leadership skills there. You got, you know, you got the know-how, the operations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, my job mostly was like, you, you know, like that uh, grizzled uh, old, like it, being like 30 is like old in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So like, um, <laughs> and you, you know, I looked way older before I started HRT. Um, you know, it's actually like a, it's, it's definitely a performance enhancing drug, but, um, <laughs> but for, um, uh, for me as a staff sergeant, my job was like to talk to like the Lieutenant fresh out of college and like, uh, help, uh, him just do what he needed to do. And then kind of figure out like, how do I make the Lieutenant's plan work logistically? So like, that's, primarily like what if you ever see like those military movies with like the oldest person in the platoon that's what their job is it's just like they like to to figure out what everyone's good at and get them all there yeah 
Yeah, yeah, and training and like uh, just having being the most experienced person in the platoon, like to advise other people. But like the squad leaders are still out there, like doing the thing. Um, mm -hmm. They're at like the point of friction, essentially, is what we called it. Uh, the person that was like actually doing the mission, um, whereas platoon sergeant was like handling all the logistical stuff. So a coordinator position like that was not completely foreign to me. I'm very interested in your takeaways and like the things that you learned and like you had wished that you had known when you started coordinating freelancers. Well, I will say um, I had at that point in time, I had gotten uh, my uh, bachelor's degree in supply chain management. So the logistics of things, again, a foreign concept. I know that there's a lot of moving parts that you uh, project management becomes like a you know kind of natural thing that you get from that. We got to get A before we can do B or right, everybody we can't, you know, so um, and I have always had a deep and abiding love of spreadsheets. So <laughs> especially color coordinated. So, you know, yeah. I was already kind of a step ahead of some people who were just like, I don't know, I, I got some thoughts in my in my brain pan and I'm like, have you considered writing them down and then and then thinking about them again? No, they might be bad. That's exactly the problem. Um, so, you know, kind of helping people, um, you know, put together. Uh, so fortunately, you know, templates were provided by the Adventurers League for these organizations to make their content from. But helping people um, be like, all right, you found someone and they volunteered to write and they told you, hey, I'm really eager, but I've never done it. Not necessarily like a stop. Then you have to get with them and you're like, all right, so you know, you set a meeting and you want to talk to them and you want to make sure that they understand. So the expectations are that you're going to write to what has been contracted. You're going to write to the contract. You're not writing something else. You're not doing your own story. And we're not writing a novel. That's a very important thing to remember if you think you're an adventure writer. It's not a novel. Those are completely separate. In a novel, you decide what happened all along the way. In an adventure, you have no control over it. There are several players who will be deciding that. It's a choose-your-own-adventure, and that is a very different beast to write. So, you know, walking them through the template, and if they understood the templates, that was a great start. If they understood the deadlines, and if they could give me, you know, like a rough estimate on, like, how they planned to do the work and to meet the deadlines. All right, so, you know, I'm going to start, I think, you know, I'm going to spend maybe a week on putting together an outline, and then we should touch back. And I'm like, I already love this person. They've never done anything, but, like, they clearly know how to put together a plan. So that's a great place to start with a brand new freelance. You just want someone who can understand what the expectations are and who is willing to be a good communicator. You're going to hire a freelancer on, tell you they're not have much experience, they're not great at communicating, it's probably not a freelancer you want. That sounds harsh. Communication cannot be undervalued when you're looking at freelancers or when you're a freelancer looking at employers. Your employer is not communicating with you. That is also a red flag. You should yeah. not be left to flounder. You should have multiple modes of communication, actually, uh, which, I mean, you've got email and Discord for yours at minimum. Yeah, I normally do uh, email, Discord, and then some Sometimes I Twitter DM, but like very rarely do I use That's that as the my abyss main. That's of communication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, you're you're already accepting the the dystopian reality of our digital future if you're on Twitter. So, like, getting a message from me, I don't necessarily know if I want our relationship to exist on Twitter. <laughs> It's a great place to make the first contact because you yeah. know, everyone's visible there and you're like, hey, you know, are you interested in doing this? If so, can we switch yeah. to email? Yeah, it's like I would I would like in Twitter, at least from my perspective on like being a project manager, having like a town square where like all of TTRPG hangs out and like I go out there and I'll like I'll see like Gabe Hicks or I'll see Ginny over there or I'll see like uh, Elaine Ho and like I'll go over to them and be like, hey, what's up? It's really noisy here. Do you want to go somewhere else to talk? Yes. And then that, that is exactly exactly how it goes same with like facebook or any of the other things if you're messaging me like also facebook messenger like i let people use that for certain things but for the most part like 
that's not a professional notification and we don't yeah. want to do project talk there either. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things to, to look for, like, especially with new freelance and, you know, for experienced freelancers, like that's a whole different thing. Like they, they know, they generally come in with questions about, Hey, what's the timeline is going to be? What are the guidelines? Where's the template? Where's the style guide? Where are the expectations? Do you have a sample? When am I going to get paid? You know, all of those questions that even new freelancers should be asking. You should have a little, I don't know, a little checklist if that's what you need um, that you go down. Anytime someone's like, hey, anytime I get a reach out, my first two questions are, what's the word count and what's the timeline? I can immediately tell you whether or not I'm available based on those two things and learning how to say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still struggling on that one. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. note that I brought that one up very late in the conversation because I still struggle with it too. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... it's very tempting. You're like, oh, that's a good project. Oh, that sounds fun. Oh, that sounds great. And then you're like, oh, I'm so stressed because I'm so behind. You're like, well... I did this to me. Sometimes that happens with opportunities as well. Like they'll come across like when you're least prepared or least available and you don't want to say no because you feel like it's the last time you're getting an opportunity like that. I recently accepted an opportunity to do something. Um, I don't regret doing it. I love doing it. But boy, was I anxious going into it. Um, yeah. And because I just didn't have as much time as I would have liked to juggle all this other stuff I have going on in addition to doing that. But I wasn't going to say no to that opportunity. Um, in the future, perhaps I can regulate that a little bit better. I'm not at a position to where I'm making, and this is the like, I think the crux of like the issue between freelancing and uh, peace of mind is that a lot of the time you don't know when the next big gig is going to come. You can't tell if something's going to become a big gig normally. Uh, except like, because sometimes you get like a little bit of the um, deliverable like turned in and like you get paid a little bit amount. Later on, you get a much bigger piece of the pie as a part of that project because then they trust you after you've done good work. So like, mm -hmm. it's really hard to judge what your paychecks are going to look like. And because of that financial instability or that financial, um, I don't know what you'd call it, uncertainty. It's, it's just, it, yeah, uncertainty, yeah. And especially with the various ways that pay is structured within the TTRP. So yeah. there's, there's flat rate fee, of course, mm -hmm. um, which you might get none of it up front, all of it up front, or some split between when you turn it in and when it's published, when you start and when you turn it in, uh, which is very important to like, based on your pay needs, figure out exactly what the timing on all of that's going to be. Like if you're not the kind of person who can wait until it's published, which may not have a definite timeline on it, then maybe it's not the project for you. Like if you need money, yeah. when you turn it in, make sure it's a project that's going to pay you and get yeah. that in writing. Yeah, I, I think one of the best things probably to uh, sort of adhere to I for most new freelancers um, is that you're treating it as a part-time gig until you have consistent work leading up to that. I know my friend Kiana has just managed to like go full-time pretty recently and she has been able to just take or survive on um, make a full-time living just doing that with freelancing because she spent two, three years building up the momentum to mm -hmm. be in that position. But like a lot of folks, like it takes so long of consistent work in order to get there. And for a lot of people's situation, being a freelancer, especially with um, the freelancer rates that are out there, is really just not going to support you if you have a family. Um, so most people in the industry actually, full-time 
a different industry and part-time freelancers full-time as <laughs> Brian which Cortillo is, which said. Which is how I was. Yeah. I was working yeah. in the, um, in the IT tech industry or healthcare tech, uh-huh. health, healthcare IT. Let me go there. I'll get the combination together. And that was paying my bills and I was freelancing and I've been very fortunate and I've been able to, you know, over, um, I do want to backtrack one bit to the other bit of royalty. You talked about building up. So I've been writing since I think 27, 2016 at this point. Mm-hmm. And a lot wow, of my, by the way, early, yeah, a lot of my early stuff, like I'd get a flat rate and then I would get royalties for the remainder of the project. Royalties are yeah. hit or miss, but it's also a great way to build up a back catalog that you're getting passive income on. And the larger your back catalog that you're getting royalties on, the more consistent that back could be. And that's an easy way. Well, I don't want to say easy. That's a that's a common way. Simple. You know, a little bit more stability over just like only getting payment here, a payment there, and my royalty report finally loaded from where I pressed start prior to... Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, been writing since um, 2016, right? And I, and I don't care, I'll share numbers here. And most of that, not all of that, has been on the, uh, the DMs, which that's where the Adventures League stuff is published through, and that's where anything else 5e that uses Wizards IP, um, they take a huge cut. That's that's the agreement that you make when publishing on the DMs Guild. They take 50%. Having written since 2016, um, I've got this looks like I don't want to count them all. This looks like approximately twenty titles. Someone can tell me later if I'm wrong. But anyways, I've only made seventeen and a half thousand dollars on that. Wow. Okay. Where the majority of my income came from, not writing those. Um, now yeah. that's that's just things published drive through or DMs, right? So I've obviously right. I've done work through Kickstarters um, or stuff that was published on another thing that I just got paid for, and that's not accounted in here. And then you know. I've also done a lot of editing work, so I kind of varied my skills. So none of that editing work is here. Well, that's not true. Some of the editing work is here because I chose to take a royalty split rather than a flat rate. I could have yeah. made nothing on those yeah. projects, um, which is true of any royalty split. You might make nothing. I've got one. It was a love. Um, we published it a couple of years ago. I've made $60 off. Yeah, that's not very much. No, you, yeah, you could, um, you know, some of us have the option to start an OnlyFans and make that in like a day or, uh, you know, you're on your first day. Um, hopefully more than that once you get full time but I supplement my stuff with you know others like I've got Twitch channel I do marketing like I did some marketing stuff earlier this year for Gallant Goblin and you know there's a variety of ways like still within the industry it's not to say that you can't have one focus and do well at it you could just be a designer and do well at that but you know it's going to be a little bit more uncertainty with your income than if you diversify and that's honestly true of anything I think um for me and like uh Sorry, I was making just a note of like when the blip happened for my editor because I will forget otherwise. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, for most people, what I want to get across is that freelancing uh, writing, especially, does not pay as well as it probably should. And I think the rates in the industry are rising. Thankfully. Um, what do you? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you? Um, what do you think about pay advances uh, instead of? Uh, royalties in like sort of structuring around paying someone an estimated amount that you think that is going to sell for this title and then uh, if we never reach that amount for royalties then you just keep whatever you got paid initially and then you can consider it a bonus or whatever it's like hey we thought this was going to do better but you still did good work here's the pay once you reach that amount then you go like then you get royalties 
days after a certain yeah. amount. I actually love that. And that's something that I, I tried. I haven't myself hired very many freelancers because I don't have that kind of capital right now. But, you know, my partner has. And that's, you know, something that he's done. We're going to I'm going to pay this up front and I keep the royalties until we break that. And then everything after that, we split the royalties, you know, however it was agreed. Confirmed, make this. And I've had that structure for a couple of things I've done like with um, Bite Size Gaming, some Kickstarters that I did with them. They're like, you have a couple of payment options when you sign on. And I like that one where it's like, I'd like to take this payment up front that's smaller and I'm going to put my belief in the project which means I'll get a larger cut of the royalties or I could take a bigger upfront cut and get a smaller cut of it so they give you yeah. a lot of options I really I really like that but I do know that that's not something that every company can work because they don't have the free cash flow yeah there's definitely the margins are really thin on tabletop and one of the things that we have been looking at for vineyard rpg it'll be the first book that I publish um I don't know how it got to this size don't ask me how I just emailed everybody and they said yes okay don't touch me um so <laughs> I have a 20 I have a team of 20 people now but um the so exciting. Uh, it is very exciting but also terrifying yeah. so I'm just like I'm right about all that lightning. responsibility and you're like oh I don't want to let anyone down they're depending on me for money now exactly yeah um I have, uh, I think, outstanding right now about $5,000 more that I need to pay, hopefully by the time the Kickstarter closes, um, just so I can get all of my debt from the vineyard just out the door and then um, move forward with the rest of the book after we fund. This podcast will probably drop in the middle of our Kickstarter campaign, so hopefully it's funded. Yay! Yeah! Um, um, but... Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, let's go ahead and give a round of congratulations to it for funding. <laughs> we're going to put that out in the world. <laughs> this is going to be so sad if I don't. <laughs> no, we're manifesting. I will delete this. This fuck <laughs> don't do that the next um, one's gonna do great all right no but no. um yeah for sure i am i'm super interested in like different pay structures and trying to do that a little bit a, a little bit uh better on my end because I definitely I think for me and a project manager and one of the ways that I failed is really like my scope boomed too far to really support from from my income uh and pay people on time and I'm okay admitting that like I still have people waiting to be paid that have been waiting for like six months but you've been transparent with them yes and that that makes all the difference right so like if you're communicating with them and if they're expressing that you know, they're okay, then, you know, that's the nature of business. Sometimes things are going to yeah. happen financially. And as long as everyone knows what's up, like when people are willing to accept, hey, you know, because I've got I've got a, a friend that I edit a bunch of stuff for, and I know cash flow is a problem for his small publishing company. And so I'm generally like, you know, I'll wait until you get the Kickstarter money. I don't I, yeah. I'm not hurting for the money. And I know that you're going to pay me. And yeah, it's important, I, I think, to have some of those relationships to where you can kind of have some people that you lean on that are a little more financially stable. That way you're not like, oh, God, if I don't pay them, they're not going to have rent and then they're not going to have a house. And then oh. I definitely do have people like that on the team. And I and I told them that privately is like, hey, you have a government job. Uh, you don't need my money. So you're going to get paid less. <laughs> Um, I hope that's okay. And if that's not okay, can you communicate that to me now so that we can, <laughs> no, no offense to you, fill your role with someone else. Um, I guess I didn't say it quite like that, but <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that's a very, that's a very different, thank you. You should be my PR. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, no offense at all to you. You are, you are, and if somehow you're not right now, maybe this isn't the right project. And we, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've held a lot of corporate roles, like corporate speaking. <laughs> um, 
I think that's one of the things that is uh, most fascinating with moving into this space now with the proliferation of like crowdfunding is that right now, uh, what I'm looking at for my next book is like, what is a minimum viable product for us to get to the Kickstarter and fund? And what can I assign to freelancers in the meantime in order to get there and then launch and then get funded? And then I can assign the rest of everything that needs to get done after that once I have money in hand and I'm not like trying to figure it out from there, you know? And that phrase you said there, that's such a business phrase and that's so important, like the minimum viable product. That's something that so many creators don't even think of. Like you have to have something done in order to run a successful Kickstarter. You can't run a Kickstarter on concepts. What if your concept doesn't fucking work? You gotta have you gotta have the core mechanics, you gotta have the core story, you gotta have, you know, some the the art that you're centering everything around. You gotta have something. You can't run a Kickstarter on hopes and dreams unless you want to disappoint a lot because you can't budget from hopes and dreams. You don't you don't yeah. realistically know. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, M has been really good about uh, my co-creator, M. Evil, um, who you may know from like Rhyme of the Frostmaiden or like One Night Strahd um, and some of the other stuff that they've done. It but, sounds, um, I'm bad at names. <laughs> uh, mate, yeah, uh, yeah, they, I think they published under uh, Michaela Evil. Um, but yeah, they were the co-writer on Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. They did, um, if you've ever played um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, they did... Uh, a lot of the ten, they did a few of the ten towns uh, in those quests. Yeah, yeah, I've I've read Frostmaiden. That was the first epic that I wrote. Was one for for that season. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, um, where did it, where was your epic uh, located? Ten towns. It was terror in ten towns. Uh, we're okay. defend we're defending them from the invading bestial army. Oh, okay, okay. So it was like not town specific. It was just. Uh, so you're actually there on um. The shores of in in between on the western side between Lake Dinishar and five towns, and we're ignoring the other five. And all of a sudden, I can't think of which one. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, that's that been was... a couple of years since. I've yeah, yeah, that. no, that's fine. Um, this was not a it's quiz on fun. Forgotten Realms. <laughs> no, <laughs> Don't no, worry no. about it. Anyways, though, it's five. It's the five towns furthest to the west. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Whichever ones those are. Yeah, um, that would be um, uh, Lonelywood, Tourmaline, uh, Targos, Bremen, and then Brinchander. None of that sounds right. So Brinchander was the one. Maybe I've got it. Maybe I've got my geography completely backwards, and it's east. If you mean east, east, east the side near the glacier. Okay, yeah, the east. The east, the east would have been um, Cairdinaval. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Karakonid, the two cares. Um, yeah, uh, East Haven, uh, Goodmead. And uh, Bryn Chander was the one in the back where it's in the center kind of. Yep. But anyways, so Karakonig and Karadinaval are there on the lakes. And that's kind of like first. And then you kind of, you got to go to all four towns and or five uh, and get reinforcements, convince the town people, oh, cool. call in their allies and everything. And then you gather together whatever forces you could muster there at kind of that piece of land between the two lakes as the yeah. planes open up confront the army and stop them because we've just you know we went through all the 10 towns and we've just it kind of takes place like like you know timeline wise like after you do all the 10 town stuff so you've just oh. met all these people and you've already fallen right. in love with them and now you've heard about this great threat to them and we can't we can't they're our friends now what's the level range for that um it is tier tier, oh, tier one four. okay can you link me to that uh when you get an opportunity yeah. i'm gonna buy that because i run a couple of rhyme games a week i will send it to you actually oh wow uh that's generous thank you jenny yeah i mean it it's it's it's, it's, it's not real money until i take it off the dm skill it's funny money. oh okay okay, okay. I mean, most of my proceeds from the dm skill you know the old adage about we had is five dollars and we're circling it around in the industry yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I, a vast majority of my proceeds go into purchasing content from other creators. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a full time content creator, is all research materials and a tax write off in the US. Yeah, I'm filing taxes. I am, now. I'm not an accountant, and please don't take my financial <laughs> advice. I, I have hired from. an accountant for my business yeah. for this specific reason because I set aside a checking account um, within my bank where it was just where it was uh, accounts receivable and what I spend on my business. And you better bet that everything I buy that is anything tabletop related counts as for my business um, because I run games for a living. So, I mean, it's like, yes. how else Every, can I? Everything I buy and all of my travel to conventions and everything yeah. that I need here to do my job. So when I had to upgrade my computer, new monitors, offices, etc., all of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, it's a lot. You have to um, learn to do quarterly taxes in the U.S. if you want to freelance. If I have not done wondering. that. I have not done quarterly taxes. So I think what's going to happen is after I realize my mistake at all the terrible things that happen when you don't do quarterly taxes, I'm going to do quarterly taxes starting this year. But I didn't do them. I'm going to do them this year. I'm going to do them. It's my first time doing them. It's terrifying. Okay. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, you'll okay. get dinged with a fee. It's not a oh, huge fee. I'll, I'll deal with it. Um, I thanks know, for letting just... me know, though. I <laughs> yeah. get that reminder sometimes. Hey, you should do quarterly tax. And I'm just like, ah, whatever. I'll do it later. And yeah. <laughs> I, I fortunately um, was still had a W-2 job last year and the year before is when I started. I only went full time partially through last year. So I was putting aside extra from my W-2 job to avoid getting dinged for the freelance stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes now, sense. I don't have that up. I um. So what? So then, uh, let me try to paint the picture uh, accurately here. So you were in a different industry. You're in IT until what year? Uh, so full time gaming. Um, summer of last year. Okay, um, okay. I was doing enough freelancing to have done it sooner. I'm bougie and wanted to maintain my standard of living, and I also didn't want to become a financial burden to so. I went until I was freelancing and then I'm still freelancing, but I also now have a full-time gaming job with Steamforge where I get, you know, I have guaranteed income every month in addition to whatever I pick up. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But yeah, no, I mean, prior to that, though, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing badly and combined with like my full-time um, healthcare IT job, I was making, I was pulling in pretty good money. I was also very stressed Yeah. because I was basically doing three full-time jobs. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, yeah, I understand understand that that sucks yeah i'm sure you do yeah <laughs> it, it is it is it's a lot to it's a lot to balance because you've got you know you've got your your your, your actual content creation time you've got your face time that you have mm -hmm. to put out into the world because as a freelancer you are your own brand i think that's that's part of how you end up kind of getting to where you can support yourself establishing that brand and then exactly like you do right i created my own brand my name was well enough known from being competent and reliable that i was able to professionally and charge a premium people were mm -hmm. like yeah I and some people were even like, I don't even want to play. Can I just give you like fifty dollars and we can talk for an hour? Consulting, yeah. Can you, you that that offer still available, everyone? You can still give me fifty dollars and talk. Yeah, definitely. If I was to encourage anyone to do anything, at least it worked for me and I had a good experience. But um, there are a lot of professionals within the field who are freelancers that do take consulting. Um, there, they mm -hmm. are open to consulting work. If you are looking to get some advice about like where to go and what to do, um, I know that we provide on this podcast 
a ton of great advice, but also um, it is worth your while in order to support someone directly and like build a relationship in that way. Um, just an hour of time and like that'll be especially whatever the rate is. Especially and... if you, ha you have a content creator out there and you really love their style, their ideas, how they come up with something, reach out to them. Be like, hey, can I buy an hour of your time I'd like to talk about? And please have some topics. Yeah. Um, and generally, like, most of them are going to say yes. There's going to be some who are like, oh, gosh, um, I have overburdened my schedule. And that's very flattering, but I cannot. Um, in which case, you know, you probably have another freelancer that you love and throwing down your list, you know. But we're mostly willing to talk about it because um, I don't know about you, Friday, but I'm still just absolutely flabbergasted people want to talk about it. Despite <laughs> having talked about it for seven years now. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I always, you know, I'm genuinely always surprised when I like reach out to somebody for the show and they're like, oh, I listened to the show or, oh, uh, you know, I've been following you for like however many months. And I'm just yeah. like, really? It's like, this is weird. I, yeah, <laughs> okay. exactly. So um, my first podcasty thing that I did, so uh, Paige Lightman and I took over the D&D roundtable from James and uh, when he moved on to his podcast network and then greater and better things, because uh, James is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, lovely human and so you know we're like okay so james had been reaching out to like big names in the industry and like they wanted to talk to him of course but we're like i don't know two little old women little old us and so we're like i don't know let's reach out let's see what they say this is you know whatever and so like we'd reach out to like we we had uh james wyatt and keith baker on we reached out and they're like oh my god yeah we love your show and we're like like current version of it or like when it was james <laughs> and they're like no we've listened to your episodes the two of you are great you're little rapport and we're like you like yeah, us yeah. You, you really for, like us. They really like for, us. You work for Wizards and you listen to our show. And then just like, you know, um, when I started doing my own Twitch show, like, you know, reaching out to people like Jennifer Kretschmer was one of my first guests on. And like, oh, wow. Okay. I was I was just like, she's going to say no. She doesn't know me. But she was just like, that sounds fun. It might be a little difficult to schedule me. But if you're flexible on that, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, yeah, for, for you, <laughs> we actually, can reschedule this 20 times if we need to. It's fine. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Jen. I actually had a really good beginning experience with Jen uh, because I reached out to Jen for some advice about how to develop a pitch because I knew that uh, she worked in TV yes. and I was trying to like, how should I structure these pitches? And she gave me some great advice. She spent an hour on a call with me. I had offered initially to compensate her, but she said, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, Cause she's just very generous with her time. Obviously she can't yes. do that for everybody, but was in a position to do that for me. Um, and I learned a lot from Jen and actually I structured my show pitches to Dodd from Cobalt Press using her structure and both shows got approved for Cobalt Press based on Jen's recommendation. So like, I can't say enough about like a lot of the people that I've kind of met and then been influenced by and like received help from yes. um, along the way. The tabletop industry is very uh, helpful if that you are willing to put in the work and you're not a grifter. <laughs> Yeah, that that is one of the things that I I love about it. and I, and I do love to use the you know the term community. It's an industry, yes, but like so much of it is that sense of community because we are all so interconnected and everyone's work does kind of affect everyone else's because like you know if you see someone else who's just put out you know forty vampire supplements, you're like ah maybe the market's got a glut of that. So what everyone is doing does affect everyone, and we're for the most part very willing. None of this is a secret. We're all working under the same like things. We all know what we're doing, and so like we're generally just like yeah I'll, I'll talk to you about that or you're like or sometimes like i'll have like an adventure con. i'm writing this part and like can you tell me if this is terrible it's hot garbage as it sounds to me 
because it sounds like a pile of trash and you don't generally read it to whoever and they're like it's not garbage at all and i'm like like people are they're nice like (laughs) not you know jennifer specifically she's such a sweetheart we she was on my show and um so the designer's den which show where i talk to designers about you know how they approach design because everyone has Mm -hmm. a vastly different way of doing it and um you know i don't send out questions ahead of time aside from like provide me one product you want to talk about at the beginning and the rest of it we're just going to talk about design and so it's kind of free form and like i start everything with like if you have a tangent go off on the tangent i've got adhd you got adhd whatever if we never get to the point of the show i'm okay with that and so she and i spent most of the episode she was on talking about like advocacy and representation and it was great. It was so much fun. Yeah, I uh, I love getting these experiences, especially in this industry. I think it's a unique industry in that because uh, of the disparity in pay, the silver lining to that, <clears throat> and I would never defend how bad the pay is in TTRPG, but the silver lining to that really is that you get some experiences with people with a vast amount of life experience as opposed to other industries where you run into people who have just been in this industry the entire time, full time, and that's all they've ever done. Or that's like what they've been doing for the past like eight years or whatever. For the tabletop industry, like you get people who have like full time careers doing something completely different than tabletop. You know, I talked about how my previous, you know, job was in the the healthcare IT. And I always found that really funny because Justice Armand talks about like the healthcare to tabletop RPG pipeline <laughs> especially in the modern post 2020 yeah for no for no particular reason i yeah now that you mention it i know actually have quite a few healthcare workers who have since tried to move over to well it can't be from. any more stressful yeah exactly yeah. has been it's what some just... of them and i'm like well the pay is kind of you know over the place and they're like it's gonna be less stress for me and i'm like well and then and then i'm like well actually you know what don't let me be the one to judge how much stress you were under at your previous job and yeah it's like, different for everybody yeah different things stress people out different ways like some of those people they're like i'd rather stress about money than what i'm currently yeah well, legitimate i'm yeah. um, speaking of pay though i just want to say like as someone who like does design and editing paying by word okay let's talk about that it i have a lot to say encourages people to write as the editor only have that opinion <laughs> um yeah yeah recently after conversation and i was like did we pay them by word and like no and i'm like i'm less mad i was preparing to be really mad and now i'm fine you talked me down yeah i think um <laughs> i think for uh i was talking to describe about this um I was talking to uh, one of the co-founders and uh, he was saying that they don't pay per word on describe. This actually reminds me that I owe them a submission. Oh, <laughs> Let yeah, me add this that. to my schedule right now before I forget. Um, describe. Sorry, this is my brain in real time. No, it's um, fine. I, I, have a, I have a notepad here. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they pay per scene and uh, that re- has really upped the quality of work that they received from professional writers because if you're paying to reach a word count um that can kind of dilute what the vision is and what the most effective use of um that time is and describe how it actually has this great article about box text and what the most effective <laughs> uh number of words is and they have found that in their opinion it's like 75 to 100 words is like the good sweet spot because you're providing enough to paint the scene. It depends, right? So I'm going to say with box text, it depends entirely on the game. Some games are more narrow. World of Darkness games, for example. You're going to want more box text. You need to be evocative. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I like box text. Uh, James and Tricasso will argue in favor of no box text. So, yeah. you know, started started the industry writing and stuff with him. So, like, I kind of go either way. Like, I see his point that box text kind of sometimes does encourage GMs, DMs, whatever you want to call them, to be lazier 
and to just monotonously read off the page and you get all your players who are just like glazed over in the eyes versus like putting the key things like these are the things your player needs to know this is what the room looks like you got some bullet points you got some things and then they're like word this set the scene using this information that encourages kind of that improper thing so i see both sides one is more helpful for, whereas the other for people who like prefer to put it in their own words this is going to be vastly on the word count thing though like i i think like my my preference is to assign out things go over what the concept is set a word count maximum and be like you do not have to use that many words this is the rate that you are getting paid even if you so long as you meet the expectations on explaining it, making sure all of the necessary details are in there, if you're at like 60% of that maximum, that's fine. Turn it in. You're still getting paid the same. Yeah. It encourages people, like you said, to make a more efficient and effective use of words, which less words on the page makes it easier for someone to pick it up and parse it quickly, which yeah. is especially important for like organized play content when sometimes you get the adventure a couple hours or minutes or whatever before you need to run it. Yeah, I think... um especially depending on what you're designing for yeah like audience. you said i'm just repeating what you said it, it really depends on what you're doing i think for adventures league like you obviously have to adhere to a certain style because every session every packet is meant to be like one session that's it you have to be really concise well some of them uh you know some of the stuff some of the stuff i've written uh they had me write one for the dreams of the red wizards ongoing saga series where that's a bit more like lore heavy and stuff and they're like write a six hour adventure and like i the amount of words they requested and the amount of things that they requested and i can't run it in six hours right and like i get that i get that feedback constantly from people who are like this is really more of like an eight or ten or i actually ran it in 12 hours and i was like mm -hmm. yeah no there is enough content in the adventure yeah and run it in six kind of have to cut stuff or cut your players off though and yeah. i don't have to do that yeah i've really found that to be the case with a lot of these prepared modules because there have to, there has to be a certain amount of content in order to make it uh usable for most gms and some groups will explore all of the content. Um, so you just end mm -hmm. up with like a great disparity between two different groups sometimes, like where you have people that essentially speed run and then people who just yeah. hit every single... Some groups are murder jackals and they just want to go through, find <laughs> yeah. the enemies and abolish them. And like they didn't explore, they didn't talk to any NPCs, they don't care. Their mission, as far as they were concerned, get in here, eliminate all possible enemies, clear the battlefield. Somebody might... Somebody surely some other team is coming behind them to really do the investigation clearly because that's not right. their job <laughs> and then there's others <laughs> the who are like now. who are like every single uh sentient being i encounter uh, i'm gonna touch every nook and cranny examine everything i'd like to leave no stone unturned uh bad guys we'd prefer to like talk them down if that's possible even though that's gonna take longer definitely but like is that cool right <laughs> so you got like those two wildly opposite ends of the spectrum and it's still like uh i have uh i have, have a couple seminars for time management for dms and players for organized play do you okay yeah. can you link me i'm curious no because none of them are recorded i've oh, given them all okay. in person at conventions okay 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 gotcha i need to 
record one one day. But like, yeah, I, I do, I do tend to tailor them, right? Like, to oh, okay. specific quest. Like, I have a whole vast set of information that I can give, and like, yeah. based on they're kind of interactive. So, based on like the questions and problems those people in the room are having, mm-hmm. where if like most everybody's like, I really get bogged down when we get into combat and slows everything down, and the pacing grinds to a halt. I have a whole section on that. Or other people who are like, well, when we get to role play, time is just like nebulous concept. Right. Um, or, right. or players who are like, I have everything and I know what I need to do, but then it gets to my turn and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've got like a bunch of different concepts. I really do need to record that sometime. Probably be longer than any. I want to include all of it, but that's on the, you know, back burner along with 12. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely a freelancer 101, like something that you've done for groups of people. Maybe you should package it onto a PDF of some kind and like just put it out there and charge five bucks for it. You might be surprised about how many times you, you know, how much money you make yeah. out of it. So. Yeah. It's the, the, the strangers things sell very well. Um, I mean, I would be interested to pay for a product like that, to be honest. Like that sounds great to me. Um, so let I mean, me know if you ever and- do that. Yeah, no, and totally. And and like, honestly, like all of that. And so I feel like the reason I have so much great stuff there is because like the vast majority of my DMing time has been me running tables at conventions for strangers. No table right. is the same. Every time slot is four hours and not a minute more. So you yeah, just learn a, a lot of strategies though. for coping with every Johnny, Temmy, you know, whatever type of player right. you've got. I know those are the magic archetypes, not... <laughs> Um, I've written a bit on the different archetypes of Dungeons and Dragons players. Yeah. Um, that yeah, will be published. Same types. Oh, really? Uh, okay. That's going to be in an upcoming book from Renegade. Oh, okay, cool. Um, are you allowed to say? I don't, don't know, know what the, I don't don't know know? What the okay. final title uh, got settled on as. Oh, okay, cool. Or I cool, would cool, tell cool. you. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> do you know when it's coming out, roughly? Are you allowed to say? No? No idea? Okay. All right. Such is the life of a freelancer. They, they've got so much stuff in their project pipeline right now that like the exact release timeline, just because with the Essence 20 system, they wanted to push all of that out there. So it is Essence. So oh, okay. it'll be in there, but it's just general like DMing advice. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of that same stuff I ended up in there. I wrote a lot of words on that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. Um, I am always interested in like books like that. I like the Kobo Press series on, uh, you know, those sort of <laughs> things. Um, you would have loved when I was doing all my research for it. And so my desk is wide. I had it covered in open source books. And then I had two tables around me. So I've got like, with like, no lie, not exaggeration, like 30 books open to their various sections, Dragon Age to the various editions of Dungeon Star Wars to the Star Trek book to like, I don't know, whatever, every, every book we have upstairs, we have a vast library, just like open. Um, Alan takes a pick, calls my name and I look up like a gremlin deep and there was so much fun though, learning all of that and seeing all the past perspectives. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a different culture now uh, than it was. And I think especially because Adventurers League was the primary mode that which people that were strangers used to get together in order to play. And now we have so many options for professional GMs in order Let's to play now. playing, yeah. You can yeah. Yeah, start playing, dummy playing. There's so many things online where you could just go and find a game. So, I mean, I mean it's larger organizing play rather than, I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's a really great name for it. But it has been kind of like a renaissance of like the outcasts being able to find their people. Right. Yeah. It's been really interesting for me sort of developing my brand and then attracting the type of table that I want to build just naturally as a consequence of like advertising myself a particular way, which I talk about a lot. But what have you found on your end as far as like attracting the people who give you energy? Like what can you and speak you, And on? you really do. So I played. So, you know, we'll just go here. I played at one of Friday's tables recently and it was just such a wonderful group. I didn't really know going in. I did know 
Al going in, in case that wasn't obvious. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't really know where everyone's going to be. And it was. It was all very open, accepting, different levels of talkative. But, you know, everyone was just gung-ho to, like, play with these queer archetypes in a very respectful manner. But, like, so you do a great job of that. Anyways, oh, thank remember, you. You know, with my Start Playing profile and anyone can, I advertise myself because I feel like it's my strong point um, as someone who is there to teach new people um, in an inclusive, safe environment. Like, I've got everything on there. Like, my games are going to have, they're going to have queer characters, little color in them. We're going to talk about real world issues. Yeah, we are um and you know i want you to ask me questions like i expect that you're new players that you're coming in i will help you with your technology issues character creation i will help you with whatever it is that you want help with but i will also let you do it on your own that and then we can kind of go through it you know so it's all like a very supportive thing i do get a lot of families or friend groups where they're like this is gonna sound stupid but and i'm like no it's, it's not go ahead um and so like kind of that's that's kind of the inquisitive curious kind of nervous people want to experiment and explore like that's the kind of players that i seek out and that's the kind of players that i see messaging they're like hey you know i saw your listing you know we're kind of and a lot of them are like i don't want this to sound bad but we're kind of looking for a female dm because we want someone who's not going to be afraid to really get into like the emotional side of things and i was like i i'm not offended by that i mean there's plenty of non-female presenting people out there as well who can do that but i kind of get why they you know and they're like you know i want to do that and i kind of want to like get into it and explore it and i have no idea what i'm doing i've never played any of these great you've come so i just you know that's what i that's what i look for and that's what i get families who are like well my kid's been talking about this for like eight months and they really want to do it and i kind of want to see what it is before i let them go and do it with strangers at a store so right. can you run us through a campaign together as a family? And I'm like various um, iterations of the Lost Minds, Minds of Fundelver. I, I, I don't know how many times I've run that. It's never the same story. <laughs> yeah. But and like everyone's always like, OK, yeah, no, I, I see why people love this. This is this is good. I And mm. so, yeah, I think, you know, establishing like clear expectations for like the type of player you, you want, someone who's experienced or are you looking for people who are heavy into role play? And like I make it very clear to the skills that I like. I can't do voices. Right. I am not going to have soundtracks for anything. I am not going to build out elaborate roll 20 rooms and i don't and that's you know honestly another reason why i seek out new players too because they don't expect all of that like they want i mean i give them more than you know they're, they're expecting like i i provide plenty of visual aids and stuff to really set the scene because it's hard as a new player to like conceptualize i'm in a fantasy village and it has you know i i try to give them that you know like evocative images like a little orchard with stuff off and then they're like oh, okay we're in like a an agricultural type area that's a lovely orchard they probably make mead somewhere can I go find the meadery? And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't a meadery, but there is now. And so, you know, just kind of kickstart their imagination. I think a lot of, you know, like you said, the energy that you draw in is going to be the energy that you put out. Yeah, for sure. I think um, for most GMs, they just need to find enough players. Um, And when I actually consult or like advise people on it, it's very important to understand that you only need, like if you're part-time, you just need a total of 15 to 20 players because that's still four to five tables. You don't, you don't have to have your 
uh, business running games for everyone. You need however many you need for tables. So you need to first work out how much you want to work. What does that translate to in times for tables um, between prep work and actually running the game? And then what does that in turn translate to like how many players that you need? And like you're not looking to capture the entire market. You're looking to capture a small part of the market. And that small part of the market. Yeah capture just what you need and you know you're gonna have players who are like gosh i really love you and i want to do everything um that you do uh like what was it frey that always shows up at your table yeah yeah you've Frey's got return in, players um, yeah phrase they, they, they were every one of my games yeah they, they yeah phrase great um, um and i and i will say that like there are some players especially if we're talking about like investigating a type of gm that you're looking for and i know that i did this when i was first starting on start playing games as a player i went and i sought out a femme gm because i knew that i was a queer and i didn't necessarily want to uh go be undergoing that in my life and like have a masculine gm for whatever reason because of my comfortability with it yeah um and that's how I met Katie, who I've been playing with for like two years now. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a matter of Is like that finding Goblin Katie or a different Katie. No, 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 different Katie. Uh, punning action. There's plenty um, of Katies, but I was just like, yeah. I don't know. I know that one. <laughs> She's wonderful too, though. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's important to understand that when you're moving into branding and like you're figuring out your business, you are going to be the right GM for a subset of people. You just have to get in front of them and eventually mm-hmm. you will um, willow, winnow through like all of the uh, people who like kind of bounce off your table and don't enjoy the table as much or like they're not crazy about your GMing style. But once you have run enough tables, eventually you're going to have these people who really love your table and really love your type of game and like get along with you really well. And they're going to stick around. And and those players who do bounce off your table, it's not anything personal. Not everyone matches with everyone. I, um, you know, circuit, I've played plenty of games. There are DMs that like, they're great people, but like their style is not the style that I enjoy. And I know that. So I try to avoid their tables, not because they're not going to run a fun game for somebody else. They're going to run a fun game. I'll have more fun somewhere else playing the same adventure. And I know that. So like, you know, it's, it is important to kind of match those two things up, like what you like doing and what your players like doing. And you'll find your community. We've got, uh, we've got probably, I think about a dozen DMs now for Baldman games that I also, um, who we're doing home game in the cloud, which is essentially like, um, we do, um, campaigns of people and, you know, they've got their players who found them through our monthly virtual D&D back every month. They're like, I, I played this one shot, you know, um, Amanda, and I really loved how she did it. And I saw that she was going to run a Dragonlance campaign. And I really feel like what I experienced there, plus she'll probably, you know, humor my wacky Kender antics. It's going to be a good fit. And you you figure that out and you and you get your return players. It's it's branding. It's branding. Absolutely. Um, tell me more about your work with Baldman Games. I had no idea that you did that. What do you do for them? <laughs> Uh, so first off, Baldman Games. What what is right? So Baldman Games is kind of a an event organizer. I think is the best way to describe them. Uh, so they're a group. Um, they uh, so the RPGA used to be a thing, the Role Playing Gamers Association got disbanded by Wizard. But Baldman Games kind of filled in that gap of being the organization that would coordinate and oversee Dungeons and Dragons organized play at the major convention. So at that point in time, it's still the Midwest is what that meant. So um. Yes, there. So Gen Con and Origins and then Baldwin Games also has kind of their own annual event, Winter Fantasy. So that's like the three big shows. We've expanded way beyond that now. Um, Baldwin Games is also the official partner for online events for um, D&D. So every month we do a virtual play weekend 
as Wizards likes to call it, it's Virtual D&D Weekend, what we call it. Uh, so those are the same thing for anyone online. But gotcha. uh, so we DMs, we, we, we have a community, trained DMs, we provide resources to DMs. We have a community where our players can hang out, create content now. We're creating most of the Adventures League content, the Dreams Red Wizard series, Moonshade stuff, Dragonlance stuff. Uh, my partners, my storyline coordinators for Dragonlance uh, series. And nice. go to conventions. We bring this content. We find volunteers to run in. I got involved because, you know, again, my entire motive. I want people to play games. Um, I had played some of their games at conventions and I was like, this is fun. This is a good community. Like we're all here. So got involved and then we were kind of expanding. And then when we got, um, we went more digital. Um, so became the social media coordinator for them. So social media, because that's not Dave's forte. Dave is the bald man. And so uh, do that community committee care as well. So that's kind of our committee um, where we try to put together things to keep our community engaged, to kind of spotlight people who are doing really cool things, to give out awards, to put on social events at our um, convention. So we do like mixers and dinners and whatnot because we, we are. We just like to hang out with one another. We're friends, most of us. Um, yeah. There are hundreds of people now within the organization who volunteer all around the world. We've got international GMs as well who do the online stuff. And we pay everyone for every game they run. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I know um, I have had a great opportunity in the past at Gen Con with uh, Cobalt Press. They, uh, because I was one of their GMs um, and I ran a certain amount of games for them, they hooked me up with a hotel room yep. and I was also a panelist for them. So those are the sort of relationships that I think are sort of these coveted positions in uh, the tabletop space if you're a pro GM, where if you go out and you, you know, you can save a lot of money essentially just working with someone yeah. and like still getting the convention experience in a lot of ways um and i think that's a very exciting experience for yeah, a lot of people you, if you if you if D D is like your thing and you want to run a ton of D D and be there and just have the experience of being at the show and get a free hotel room that is definitely some involvement games does cares um if you don't want to do any of their shows um like to do my uh, promotion here but you love atlanta specifically um around memorial day in in, in very specifically uh, you can come to momocon where you can also volunteer for the art department which is my department rpg director at momocon and you too can get a free badge play a hotel room share if you um, or you could just come and enjoy the show uh and i'll be there there i love it though <laughs> despite the obligation yeah. we have a bunch of people a kobold uh so dot and alexander and all that but you know getting involved with stuff like that like you said it's very fulfilling and it helps yeah us. i yeah you get your face there you're being helpful you're being knowledgeable i mean that's that's really all it is like i do it because i want to do it and it's just a bonus that it promotes my brand if you can as a freelancer absolutely it's good to have that uh convention face-to-face -face time and then spend a little bit of it working if you can getting your foot in the door that way and even if you're not looking at doing any freelance work or anything like that sort of uh putting yourself out there in case you have other skill sets that could potentially get you a job in the future in, in tabletop it's probably important to get some face time in there so um, and if you're going to do the conventions um get yourself a snazzy business card or business cards are expensive sometimes Sometimes I know. Uh, make yourself up a snazzy link tree with a QR code, your details, because otherwise they're not going to run. Con brain is a real thing. I had a thing where I was writing like, some people just have been given the advice, like just go to a convention with your business cards and give it out to as many people as you want. Do not do that. Worst advice you could ever give. I'm not saying you just said that, Jenny. You didn't. You didn't say that. But I, I know not. that that. That advice definitely exists. What you need to do is you have a certain amount of business cards. And when you build a relationship with someone, when you have built rapport and there's a there's a good feeling, then you say, would you like my business card? Yeah. 
Exactly. So you want to have had that conversation with someone. You want to connect with them. You don't just want to go up to Boots and be like, hey, I see you're a publisher. I have my card. Even if it's as pretty as mine is. It is very beautiful. And shiny. Yeah. Um, I made these out of spite. It's got my face on the back so people remember oh, nice. who I am. Um, but yeah, so let's see, I actually have here because I haven't put them into my box from the last one. From the last convention, I did three business cards because these were the three people that I talked with long enough to get to know them, to know what they did, mm-hmm. and to be like, hey, we should we should stay in contact. I don't have anything right now, but like I like what you're talking about. So, you know, yeah. I took those. Um, oh, yeah, Adrian for the Kaboa. I don't know if you've seen that coming out. Oh, so- yeah. Um, they are a Black Flag partner, just like us. Yes. Uh, South American fantasy, right? Yeah. Okay. A South American RPG setting. Yeah. 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 That's super cool. And um, they had they had it up at uh, Hit Point Press. Yeah. 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 Partner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you so- can um go get the preview of that if you're interested. Boop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, like yeah. I just said. audio audio only yeah. here, but yeah, um, <laughs> just for me, I saw it. Um, but yeah, for uh for you and like going to conventions and everything like that. Let's transition to. Steamforge what I'm games. doing now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually, we could transition to that naturally. So going to conventions, actually, and doing things is how I got, not entirely how I got involved with Steamforge. Steamforge put out an open call looking for writers for a while back. And they're like, hey, which of our properties? And they had Animal Adventures. And I was like, that's cute shit. I like that. Uh, Yeah, I'd like to write for it. And so I did. And then um, they had been looking for volunteers at GaryCon to previews for Dark Souls RP. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can drive to that. I, I could drive. So you don't have to air airfare me. We're like, oh, we, we like that. So I went there and uh, ran games and demonstrated my competence. And then I have this problem where like, if I'm at a convention and I'm not working and I see work that needs to be done, I can't really help myself. I can't right. do, do work. You're addicted. To do work, even when it's not my work necessarily. So I was helping yeah. with other things that I hadn't necessarily been contracted to do, but it was mm-hmm. fun. Um, I was helping in the booth because the booth is the best place to talk to a large amount of people in a short amount of time. And so yeah. they were like, oh gosh, you're... And then, um, you know, there was a big Dark Souls RPG first printing. A right. lot of edit- editorial issues. Um, and so I was like, hey, you know, I know I haven't done any editing for you, but do, were you aware about your editing? And he's like, you want to do a test? And I was like, I'd love to do a test. I yeah. did a test. And then they were like, oh, it is, as you said, you are also competent in this. And so <laughs> um, then, you know, we negotiated it out because I was very unhappy with my full-time job at that point in time. And I made that very clear to them at that show. I was like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know, I'm not hinting in a very subtle way here that I am looking to exit my current full-time job and move into the industry. That's explicitly what I told them. And I'm not saying that you have to be that person, but I like our relationship and I would like to, you know, further it. That was how I got started with them. Again, I just demonstrated my competence in general um, and um, started on with them full-time last August. Uh, so I love working with them. Um, uh, so they're based out of Manchester, UK. So I do work fully remote. Um, asynchronous. Um, we're frequently not online at the same time. Uh, most of the time, all the Richard keeps weird hours. Uh, so we are more often than not. But, um, you know, I am our TTRP product lines. Uh, so Dark Souls, Haloners, Animal Adventures, Adventures in Active Class. Not so much that, because most of that work that's previously out there was done before I started in. As was the Dark Souls core rulebook. You'll note that it does not have my name in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I established that, everybody. I had someone online who was like, this is your fault. You edited it. And I was like, did you check the credits? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lie. Slanter. Matter, matter of fact, um, I opened the book. They sent it to me for the preview, and I was like, he typed, 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 typed. Hey, did you know? And he's like, yes. I, I haven't like, taken okay. a look at the book, so I'm uh, so in the dark been, about the problems. Been, it, it, it 
got a rush development cycle. And so there were okay. just typographical errors and right. um, things that weren't. It was it was enough that there was a reasonable up yeah. base around the price. And it was a beautiful book. And it still is a beautiful book. I'll show you, even though everyone else can. Nice. Yeah. Leatherette with the gold Ooh. pages. Oh, my God. Like a Bible. Nice. And this is like 500 pages. Yeah. The original printing. Um, yeah. They pared it down by changing the layout. And so the new version is out there now. It's actually released so everyone can buy it. It's on shelves um, at retail stores now as of this year. It looks great now. Yeah. Um, and we've just released the PDF for our uh, Tome of Strange Beings. So that's the mm -hmm. Dark Souls bestiary. And um, I'm super excited and very proud. You know, the wonderful feedback we've gotten online, especially whoever it was on Facebook, I think, who was like, you must have gotten a new editor because I didn't notice very many issues in this book. Congratulations. <laughs> and I was like, you like me. Oh, wow. I like you too. You're all right, buddy. But also you could be a little less snarky. Yeah, yeah. yeah a there, there's a, myself. There's a definitely a, a type of uh, interaction that game designers, publishers uh, deal with a lot. It's, so it's that people treat you like some faceless entity instead of like the person who did this book. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I read through a bunch of the, the vitriol around the first printing of it from uh, it, it, it never got it never made it to the US market. So Europe got it and then it got but some of those people over there who got it and like there were valid criticisms, but there's a way to convey criticism. Well, like the person who put together the very detailed list of all of the errors that they found and they were like i hate to be the person who calls you out on like all of these but this is all the stuff that i found we were like that's very helpful thank you we're very sorry that you had to deal with all of that we're gonna make it right etc et everyone got new books um, yeah which was an expensive cost um but you know i i love working with them um i love uh all of the ips that we have i don't know if everyone's familiar with steamforge games they do a lot of board games for licensed properties uh, dark souls of course monster hunter uh horizon Zero Dawn, Resident Evil. I am blanking on half of the other stuff that we got. Uh, it's a lot. Board games. Uh, yeah. They just announced Sea of Thieves. So, like, we've got so many great properties. I can't tell you what we're doing. Um, in the future on the RPG side, more Dark Souls, more Animal Adventures, more Epic Encounters than that was to be expected. But there's more stuff coming. And I am super excited. Only only a little overwhelmed with the sheer volume of Amazing currently as yeah. sole editor. How much uh how many hours a week are you working right now? Can I ask? Um so I made it kind of like a full-time job, approximately 40-ish. I don't know. I don't, I have a timekeeping app that like literally lives on, I, of course I unplugged it. I have calendar on one tab and Clockify mm -hmm. on the other. And like, all I have to do is hit start on my timekeeping app. And but I you don't. don't. <laughs> and I don't. It's right yeah. there staring at me too. <laughs> I, uh, I undergo this conversation with uh, uh, some of my uh, partners and uh, co-creators because I'm like, yeah, log your hours because like certain jobs of, are just hourly. Like mm -hmm. if you're like the co-creator or you're like a designer or something, like it's hourly because that's more of an hourly thing where you're only going to produce like 10 words, but it took you two hours to get those 10 words because those are the right 10 words to use. Because um, you really so. had, you really had to do a lot of research and find out mm -hmm. which 10 words are going to be the most evocative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not just... You know, find a 10 words out in Microsoft Surface tablet. I did see the in. schedule like for half a second before it unplugged. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, the, well, the keyboard bit of a Microsoft Surface book for everyone who doesn't know is where the vast majority of the battery lies. There's a separate one in the oh. tablet, but it doesn't work very well. Gotcha, gotcha. But okay. yeah, so, you know, lots of, lots of great stuff going on there. Um, 
you know, I am like approximately 40 hours. What I like about it, though, is even though I am full time because of the AC, I naturally, my circadian rhythm, I stay up late and I wake up late. I'm not a morning person. I've never been a morning. Yeah. I really enjoy that, like, I can get up in the middle of the morning. Yeah. You know, around 10-ish Eastern. Yeah. And do some work, uh, take a nap, go run chores, whatever you need to do that, you know, is only available during traditional business hours, which is really annoying. Um, and then I do the vast majority of my work actually between like 8 p.m. and 3 a.m. Yeah, nice. When people have stopped pinging me online. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so distracting. Yeah, um, but, I... but I mean, it really works out because I do a lot of my other freelance stuff, like the Baldwin game stuff, all that social media stuff. That's kind of like. Yeah, absolutely. What do you do to get yourself focused on tasks? Do you use like an app? Do you shut everything off? Do you have like something that you do as a person with ADHD? And then also um, all of these distractions. What do you do? I uh, remember to take my ADHD meds. Step one. Oh, okay. Step one. Step yes. one. I put on my lovely noise canceling headphones. Uh, if the boy is here, the child beast, I wait till he goes to bed. That's very important Natch. part. Um, yeah. And then I turn on some nice lo-fi music like right yeah. now. And I just hear. I've got three screens, so I focus on the middle one. So even if my eyes kind of, I'm still looking at something relevant, and I'm like, work. No, work. Close yeah. down all social media. Generally, I put my phone face down because this is a mm -hmm. distraction. It's the biggest distraction. And, um, you know, if there's certain things that I've really got to prioritize, um, generally, I will have sticky noted them. And those sticky notes will live on the monitor, like not at the bottom, but like dead in the middle in the way. Oh, yeah. So that I cannot avoid that task. You, must, you shall not pass until you have done this. I've got like a variety of different things that I've tried. Some work better at different times of the year. Like winter is the hardest. You know, anyone with uh, depression, anxiety knows winter sucks, especially if you're far enough north and everything is miserable outside. I live in yeah. Michigan. It's full of ice right now. There's yeah, no yeah. sunshine. Depression has seasonal affective disorder on top of it and anxiety and ADHD and it's miserable. So at this time of year, I have to-do lists. I try to do a weekly tracker with a to-do list. Oh, that's so cool. Every day. Um, I have regular old sticky notes for like priority tasks. I send myself emails. I will, um, Chrome has recently added a list feature on their side panel. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Um, that is so, it's been so helpful because instead of leaving all of those tabs open at the top, I can put them all in my reading list in the order that I need to go through them. So if it's like, I have all these documents out of a Google drive. I start when I've finished it. I'll go down to the next one. That's, that's, that's a thing. It is a new thing. What? The, what? How do I find this thing? Uh, so up at the top next to your little picture that you'd click to get like your drop down, yeah. there's a little button that says show side panel. <gasps> uh huh. And you can go to any tab you're on, right click it and add tab to reading list. Wow, Jenny, you've blown I, my fucking mind. I know. I only read the new features thing that Google sends out because I have a Pixel phone and I oh, read yeah. that and I was like, shut that's, up. That's amazing. I'm going to use this immediately. That's incredible. <laughs> I turned to my partner and said, did you know they implemented a reading list? And he's like, and I was like, okay, clearly you're not as excited as I am. But I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly. I already, you know, so you can group tabs as well. I already was doing that. So I had like email and calendar all grouped. So I closed them, like minimized the whole group. So I don't see them all. D&D stuff, social media, and then like working. So that was previously how I was managing it. So that I would still have the tabs open and not lose them. But they wouldn't all be visible distracting mm. me. Yeah. I hate having a ton of open tabs open because then I'm like, I feel I like. I 
currently overwhelmed have... by it. Let me let me let me expand them. When I oh, shit. when I close each group, <laughs> fuck. And so I'm only on my like active tabs. I only have five. You gave me so much anxiety. My blood sugar just fucking then my heart right. rate just spiked. But right. So when I minimize those groups into their things, like I still need them, but I need them later, and I'm not actively seeing them. I'm only seeing the five I have open. Two of which are DMs Guild that I opened for this stream. So I'll close those when I'm done. I don't need those. And another two are for Royal Caribbean for the D20. Yeah. Uh, briefly, um, do you want to talk about that? Have you done it before? Um, I've not. This... I've okay. never done a cruise. I'm so excited. Are you running like three games or? Uh, so more than that, I think. Uh, still finalizing guest list, so I'm sure it'll change. Yeah, they're but... still finalizing. Um, but I think running maybe six games. Okay, okay. Um, but they're not like four hour games each one two 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 and a half three hours um and That's i cool. get to choose my content um they are kind of gearing towards adventurous league but they're going to kind of try to pair the players who care about that with the dms who care about that mm -hmm. and vice versa and so if like i get a group who's like we really uh, then i'm going i have some exciting things in my brain that i've kind of been put together dungeon crafts full jammers i've been trying to combine my many things you're gonna be at my table and you already know that don't listen to this bit but i'm putting together a spell jammer dungeon craft because that's the thing that's legal right now and i'm writing a spell jammer one where they exist where they um where they find a realm space that's only inhabited by awakened animals oh my god so i'm gonna bring my minis for animal adventures so you can be the corgi who is a cleric or the cat oh who is a sorcerer you just are cat you are the corgi. you're not like it's the cutest you know, thing I know. And I was just like, how do I use these and this? And then they were like, Spelljammer. And I'm like, solved all my problems. Yeah, that's amazing. And then uh, I've got all my minis from the Epic Encounters stuff. Um, and I write a bunch of adventures around them because I've already got them. So I might as well read. I did one around the Spider Tyrant, which is a spider miniature, like literally the size of my head. And I did like a, for a convention I did in Orlando last year, I wrote a callback to Into the Demons. So it was a traditional kind of dungeon crawl thing where like there are a bunch of spider related monsters and goblins and ghoulies and like my players were like old players and they were like this is so much what we want and I was like yeah you want to go for hero you want to be the badass you want to be terrified you want traps that you're not expecting and somebody has to die at some point otherwise it's not you know and they did they did they died in a very fiery fashion so much fun yeah um so you know just taking what I've already got and kind of reusing stuff like that but I'm waiting to see how the surveys line up if I get a group who cares about Adventures League or if I can just go like off the walls and we're gonna have an improv session it's gonna be so much fun yeah absolutely um, the year before at crucible con i ran um gabe hicks's um while beyond the Witchlight adventure and i made them talk and rhyme the entire time <laughs> they weren't super into it at first once everyone started doing it they were like yeah. no i can no i can i can rhyme i can rhyme words better than you because i was because <laughs> they, they really didn't realize that like oh they don't they don't have to be good rhymes yeah. i just need to make like shoe and glue oh, okay mm. Yay, we've done it. But it was yeah. fun seeing them like rack their brains and trying to think of like, how can I answer the question of the NP? Like that became part of it. the longer they talked in rhymes without fucking it up, the more bonuses I gave them in games. So, like they were incentivized for it. Like things get easier. Difficulty levels go down and like you become more powerful because like that's the thing in the realm is like it's about poetry, and rhyming and artistic expression. And that was so much fun. And, like people were pouring in and they were like, somebody said we should come back here to see the table talking in rhymes. And I'm like, oh, that's me. 
Um, but yeah, there's so much you could do. So much, like, and still be adventurers. Like, like that was that was an adventurous game. There's a lot of uh, flexibility there. There uh, is. There's so much content out there now too. Yeah. Since the inception of fifth edition, I do unfortunately need to cut us off. We have plenty of stuff to talk about. If you ever want to come back, do you want to talk about anything um, that we haven't talked about yet, or like anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk uh, about? Yeah. So I'll just give my where everyone can find me this year and where they can find me online. All right. Uh, so I guess if you're looking to hang out with me this year and person by the time this airs it'll probably be too late to get on that d20 cruise sailing out of lax uh los angeles port but they're gonna be doing another one of those next year or something after that i'll be at momocon by the time you hear this it will still be potentially a good time for you to come volunteer for me actually volunteer registration is open through may 8th you'll find me after that at gen con I'll be working for Steamforge Games there. I will be at the booth, at the booth, at the booth, uh, more at the booth. And the bar is a very wide and varied selection of places. So just text me or message me or whatever yeah. if you're at Gen Con. And then Dragon Con and then Game Hole Con. That's where I'll be. Um, if you want to find me online, it's at Jenny Loveday on everything. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny, for coming Thank on. Thank you, Friday. This has been great. This has been fun. Yeah, I love hanging I, out with you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a great time. Hi, thanks for listening. If you want to support me, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash isfriday, or you can find some of the work that I'm doing at vineyardrpg.com if you want to pre-order the book that we made. 